Improving race relations in Australia is a core component of the annual Charles Perkins Memorial Oration. It was established 21 years ago to recognise the contributions that First Nations people continue to make to society and the country as a whole. The event fosters a greater understanding of First Nations aspirations by giving us voice and a platform to contribute to the conversation. This year, the oration was delivered by Tony McAvoy, SC, a wordy man from central Queensland. Tony is the country's first Indigenous Senior Counsel and co-chair of the Indigenous Legal Issues Committee of the Law Council of Australia. Tony has extensive experience in the areas of native title, human rights and discrimination law, as well as coronial inquests and criminal law. Let's take a listen now. It is indeed a great honour for me to have been invited to speak to you on the occasion of the Dr Charles Perkins AO Memorial Oration. I acknowledge the Perkins family, in particular his children, Hetty, Rachel and Adam. Charles Perkins was an, an extraordinary person, a person who achieved greatness in his lifetime and stood at the front line of our conflicts with governments and the racists in, these, in this country. His legacy also lives on through his contributions to education, sport, housing and public life, but to name a few areas of his endeavour. Charles Perkins was born in Mpankwe, Alice Springs, on the country of his mother, an Aranta woman. His father was a Kalkadoon man. Much of the focus throughout his life has been on his Aranta family and his Aranta connections. Today I will tell you a story from his father's country. The territory of the Kalkadoon people is a vast tract of land in what is now known as northwestern Queensland, which includes the inland city of Mount Isa. Their country straddles the Leichhardt River and includes the Selwyn Range to the east. The Kalkadoon people have owned and occupied their lands from time immemorial. Human existence on this continent has been marked by a form of spiritual relationship with our surroundings that is deep and powerful. The Kalkadoon are no different to any other First Nation in that respect. This relationship that we have with the lands and waters has fostered and permitted a lifestyle that was able to be maintained in perpetuity. I worked with the Kalkadoon people as their barrister on their native title claim in the late 2000s and early 2010s. Through this work, I became aware of their history in some intimate detail. In 1861, the ill-fated British duo, Burke and Wills, were the first of their kind to travel through this area. A few years later, in 1864, Edward Palmer, another Brit, settled on the edge of Kalkatunga country. It seems that he was permitted to live there and even attempted to learn Kalkatunga language. It was during the 1860s that the British came 
to understand that there was copper oxide in the Mount Isa area after being shown where it was by some Calcutan people. It would be wrong to say that the British discovered the mineral, for the Calcadoon hold a story about the bronze-winged pigeon who gets and gives its colouring to the copper. The bronze-winged pigeon story is a creation story of such great antiquity that it would be a folly to try and find its origins. However, I can say this much. In my travels, I have worked with the Bangla people on the Air Peninsula where the bronze-winged pigeon story commences. I've also worked with the Barkindji people at Broken Hill and the Nyampa people, each of whom hold a version of the bronze-winged pigeon story which travels from the south to Mount Isa. Other British took up government grants of land tenure on the Calcadoon country after the copper oxide was found and as a result, conflict ensued. The Calcadoon people took to the Selwyn Range and conducted a very successful form of guerrilla warfare, engaging in surprise attacks and then retreating to the Rocky Mountain Range where the British could not find them. To the eternal shame of the state of Queensland and the British Crown, in 1884, the native police troop stationed at Normanton travelled to the Calcadoon lands and massacred the Calcadoon people in a dawn raid now known as the Battle Mountain Massacre. It is reported that in the six years prior to Battle Mountain and at the Battle Mountain Massacre, some 900 Calcadunga people were killed in total. In the years that followed... White Australians often claimed that the Kalkadunga people had been wiped out. Through my work on the legal case, I heard a story from an elder who had been told firsthand of the Battle Mountain Massacre by his grandmother. The scars of the Battle Mountain Massacre remained fresh and bleeding for the Kalkadunga. I was told by many Calcadoon claimants that their grandparents had to flee their own country and hide in neighbouring lands. It was clear that they and their grandparents believed with good reason that the complete and utter extermination of Calcadoon people had been sanctioned by the state of Queensland and the British Crown. This now brings me to turn for a moment to another prominent Australian who had a significant connection to Battle Mountain. He wasn't Calcadoon though, and is someone the history books refer to as a Queensland pioneer. His name is Frederick Charles Urquhart. History archives from the 1930s tell us that Urquhart, who originated from England, was a son of a British Army officer, educated in Essex and pursued a career in the Royal Navy before migrating to Queensland in the mid-1870s and then later becoming a telegraph linesman. But by the mid-1880s, he had joined 
the native police and started rising through the ranks quickly. He was tasked to keep the country safe from natives who were considered to be extremely hostile to the white people. History states he was nearly killed by the blacks, but that despite many brushes with the natives, he had a sincere regard for their welfare. Or so the history books tell us. Before his involvement on the Kalkadoon lands, he had been involved in removing Aboriginal people from Burketown, the lands of the Gungaleeta people. In mid-1884, a British occupier of Kalkadoon lands was said to have been killed by Aboriginal people. And Urquhart, who was based nearby at the Corella River at that time, was mobilised with his troopers to react. He led and, along with others, conducted the massacre at Battle Mountain. Urquhart was also a poet. He penned some of his thoughts about this battle with a number of his poems telling of his conflicts with Aboriginal people. One of his poems was called Powell's Revenge and recounts the vengeance that was sought. The first stanza of this poem reads, Swiftly the messenger had sped o'er the rough mountain tracks to tell the news our friend was dead, killed by the ruthless blacks. A few stanzas later, Urquhart wrote, And there beneath a low-bent tree they see a ghastly sight, and scarce could fancy it, it was he they knew was slain that night. Grimly the troopers stood around that new-made forest grave, and to their eyes that fresh heap mound for vengeance seemed to crave. And one spake out in deep stern tones and raised his hand on high. For every one of these poor bones, a Calcadoon shall die. In another poem, told by the campfire in his collection titled Camp Canzanets, he gives a chilling account of shooting Aboriginal people. Three stanzas from that poem read, And at break of day next morning, we was there afore the sun, planted all round about their camp, so we couldn't lose era one. There was eight of them native troopers and me and their boss made ten. And the mercy them devils gave to sell were the mercy we showed them. I have heard a lot of playing on pianos and organs too, but the music of them, their rifles, were the sweetest I ever knew. Urquhart was not ashamed of his role. He wrote poems about it. He was joined in these massacres by Alexander Kennedy, another British pastoralist. Um, unlike most of the Calcadoon people, Kennedy and Urquhart went on to continue to thrive and prosper. Kennedy later becoming a founding director of the Australian airline company Qantas. Urquhart was later transferred to the Queensland Police, promoted to inspector and headed the criminal investigation branch. And despite findings in an 1899 Royal Commission into the Queensland Police in which he was found to be neglectful of his duties, 
unsuitable and inadequately trained for his role, he remained in that position and then was promoted to police chief inspector. He was next appointed Queensland Police Commissioner, a position which he held for a number of years before he was appointed as Administrator of the Northern Territory. The two sides of this story tell us many things. It tells us that the notion of a peaceful transition of ownership from First Nations to the British is a convenient fiction. It tells us that the extermination of First Nations people who offered any resistance was either carried out by government troops or was government sanctioned. It tells us that the perpetrators of war crimes engaging in arbitrary and summary execution of First Nations people were rewarded for their actions. It also tells us about the nature of British colonialism. With these events, I forgotten and left to drift off into some hazy past. The Kalkadoon resistance and the ultimate massacre of elders, women and children along with their warriors should be a story that is known to all Australians. It is a story that deserves to hold a position in the national narrative alongside Gallipoli and the Kokoda track. It should be part of the national school curriculum, but it is not. Following the attempted eradication of the Kalkadoon, Mount Isa became a prosperous regional centre where the British could engage in mining and grazing without fear. However, it is incumbent on us to acknowledge the high price paid for that peaceful existence enjoyed by the newcomers. The two sides of the battle at Battle Mountain had very different trajectories. The Kalkadoon people were largely massacred with the survivors significantly displaced and living lives of destitution and oppression. And the British side, well, their lives flourished. Unfortunately, the story of the Kalkadoon people is not an uncommon story. It has played out across this continent many, many times. Battles over land and water leading to very different trajectories, experiences and outcomes. Fortunately, there were some Kalkadoon survivors. The stories of the country and its spirits were passed on and in December 2011, the Kalkadoon people had their native title rights recognised by the Federal Court of Australia. Their story is one of survival against all the odds. But the Kalkadoon people and all First Nations people bear the scars of our dispossession. At present, we are told that our recovery from the trauma of our dispossession is largely our own responsibility and that we should stop living in the past. But that is not possible. Our past, our connection to these lands and waters is such a profoundly spiritual affair that our identity and well-being depends on the maintenance and transmission of these connections. And so it seems to me that it is in this space 
the gap between exploitative destruction of the landscape in the name of the economy and the deep spirituality of our First Nations, that social structures need to be built to allow us to be safe and to be happy and to allow us to shape our own destiny. These social structures of which I speak include truth commissions and the findings that will flow from such commissions. They will lay bare the truths that have been hidden from white Australia but are known full well by First Nations people. I'm also referring to treaty commissions because at least with the entry into treaties we will have a set of rules which will provide us with some known quantities, which will allow us to proceed with some degree of confidence that our rights will not be arbitrarily stripped from us because the Australian Constitution permits it to be done. It cannot be that we continue to see our people dying of preventable disease and incarcerated at shocking rates, impoverished and treated like some inferior class. It is time to move beyond the colony. In 1984, 100 years after the massacre at Battle Mountain, Charles Perkins himself, then the Secretary of the Department of Aboriginal Affairs, along with George Thorpe, a Kalkadoon elder, unveiled a monument in commemoration of the Kalkadoon people who were killed at Battle Mountain. That plaque reads in part, this obelisk is in memorial to the Kalkatunga tribe who who during September 1884 fought one of Australia's historic battles of resistance against a paramilitary force of European settlers and the Queensland Native Mounted Police at a place known today as Battle Mountain. 20 kilometres southwest of Kajabi. The spirit of the Kalkatunga tribe never died at battle, but remains intact and alive today within the Kalkatoon Tribal Council. Kalkatunga heritage is not the name behind the person, but the person behind the name. Thank you. You've been listening to the country's first Aboriginal silk, Tony McAvoy, delivering the annual Charles Perkins oration in Sydney recently.